Father, um, I pray that we wouldn't get lost in the intermission and the announcements and the distractions of life. I pray that we would be here today. More than us being here, Father, we want you to show up. May we anticipate you moving and having an answer for us in the sermon. Father, in the teaching, in your word. So give us minds to comprehend and eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts with fertile soil. Feet that want to run with obedience, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we will be uh, doing a study about the basics of Christianity. The basics are important. The basics are paramount. And what I realize is this, is as we talk about what is, um, sometimes when you become, when you've been a Christian for a long time, and by a long time, anything probably over four years, five years, you, become to, you, you begin to think that the basics are not important. That we want the deep things of God. Now, I think we want the deep things of God. But the deep things of God only come when we do the basics well every day. The basics are paramount every day. So what good is the Greek or the Hebrew if we can only recite the Greek or the Hebrew and we're not actually obeying the Greek or the Hebrew? Does that make sense? What good is knowing the original language and how this ties together with that, but then we're not obeying the thing of loving your neighbor as you love yourself? So we're going through Ephesians. And can we turn down those lights a little bit? They're giving me actually, um, I'm seeing stars because of they're reflecting off my eyes. Thank you. Um, so over the next 12 weeks, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. And we're just going to look at the basics. We're going to have a few different guest speakers, and it's going to be good. So today's message is about, is very simple. Very, very simple. But we need to learn to celebrate the simple things once again. And I think what keeps us from experiencing God's presence sometimes is we become too serious as believers. We don't have fun as adults. Life is serious. And for us to experience God's presence, we must experience him like children. We must become like children. So please don't overlook the simplicity of today. Let's celebrate it. So the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. And as Paul writes to the um, Ephesian church, they seem to be well known to him, right? Now, Paul spent two years in Ephesus with the church, and they would have learned from him as he would teach and he would um, reason with them each day. That's kind of inspiring for me is, and I think it's a lie that the church believes as well, is Paul was called by God, but you're also called by God too. Do you believe that today? You're called by God. Now, are, is your calling supposed to look exactly like Paul's? It won't. But there's going to be a lot of similarities. And I think what's inspiring, what should be inspiring for you and I is this. Paul reasoned with the Ephesians every day. 
those in Ephesus every day. How often do we reason about our faith with people around us? When's the last time you reasoned with someone about your faith? Now, reasoning with your pastor about your faith is fine. Reasoning with me, reasoning with your loved one is good. But when have you reasoned with someone in your community? When have you reasoned with a coworker? Paul was doing this every day with those in Ephesians. And just as he was called, you are called. And you are called to reason each day. Nevertheless, this resulted in him furthering the gospel in the Roman province of Asia. He would have written this letter while he was in prison, though. That does not sound fun. Now, this book is different from other epistles. This book wasn't written to correct errors within the church. The goal was to declare the fullness of the gospel. There will be three chapters um, that speak of our position with Christ. And then the final three will speak of the way that we practice that position. So your position with Christ is important. And not only is your position important, but the way that you practice your position is important. Watchman Nee would describe the book of Ephesians in three words. Sit, walk, and stand. Now, if you think about that throughout this series, it'll help you, I believe, learn it. But he described sitting as this idea of our position with Christ. We're seated with him. The world is a crazy place. Um, the world is a crazy, I mean, it's just a really crazy place. What's right is wrong, and what wrong, what's wrong is right. Amen? We don't like that, but we see that. And what happens is this causes fear amongst us and worry and anxiousness because what's right is wrong, and what, what's wrong is right. Now, what can make this manageable is knowing our position with Christ, knowing where, where we are seated. And what Ephesians is going to tell us is that you and I today, if we are believers and our name is written in the good book, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So sit, walk, or walking. Walking is about our walking in the ways of God and his strength. These ways will be completely different than the upside-down world especially as the end draws near. So we will stand out. We will look different than the world. So walking, the ways that we walk in the world, and then standing. Standing is about standing strong with the weapons God has given us when the enemy attacks us. Many of you guys are familiar with it, the body armor of Christ. So we're going to see all of these things but we will first start today with sitting. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are currently seated with Christ. Ephesians 1, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul is talking to the believers in Ephesus. This is what he is telling them. He says, praise be to God and the Father, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every heavenly realm, or blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now he's talking to them, when, when he's talking to them, he's talking to them in past tense. He's not saying just in your future. He's saying past tense. He tells them, that they have been blessed in heavenly realms with spiritual blessings in Christ. So he was speaking to the Ephesian believers, so then he's also speaking to believers today. You and I have blessings above and beyond in heavenly places and right now. Amen? Yet the phrase heavenly places is unique in Ephesians. It's used five times in the book, and we'll get to them throughout the uh, you know, next several weeks. But Ephesians 1.3, Ephesians 1.20, Ephesians 2.6, Ephesians 3.10, and then Ephesians 6.12. It speaks of a heavenly position where Christ now sits crowned at the right hand of the Father. What's unique about that, though, is Ephesians tells us that we as believers, you and I today... We are seated there with him already. And we'll see that in Ephesians 2.6. Think, think about that for a second. Somehow, right now, we are here on earth. But our position, our authority, the way that God sees us, the blessings that we carry, we're seated at the right hand of the Father right now. It's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? I'm here, but there. But I'm there, but I'm here. Now, this position, though, because we're seated in heavenly places, it results in us having every spiritual blessing already. Now, some of you are asking the question right now. Some of you might even be uneasy because you're saying, Joey, are you preaching prosperity? And I would say, actually, if that's your thought right now, I would say this, you're preaching prosperity to yourself. And here's why I would say that. You're speaking prosperity, preaching prosperity to yourself because of your idea of what a spiritual blessing is. That's where we get in trouble in America. Because we think of blessings much differently than the Bible describes them. Because sometimes here on earth, it doesn't feel like we've received a blessing. Amen? Sometimes it feels like we're just going through a never-ending storm. So it can often be hard for us to see blessings because we often think of blessings as physical or worldly things. That's not what Paul is talking about. We often think about them as health or wealth, fame. How about this one? We think about a spiritual blessing as the stoplight turning green. Come on, somebody. Or what about this? You're at Walmart or Kroger or Aldi's, the new thing that's in, and you're turning the corner and just happens to be the person pulls out in the 
first parking spot. You're like blessed and highly favored. Won't he do it? Or we often think about a blessing being the world being in perfect peace. And we're just always saying the world's never at peace, God. The world's never at the stock market. The wars, the rumors of wars, the candidates. And we say, what kind of blessings am I receiving, God? I'm not receiving any. But see, that's what Paul is telling us not to look at. In contrast, what's being talked about here in, is spiritual. These blessings deal with treasures that are non-material, invisible, and imperishable. I want those gifts. I want those blessings. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. But in Christ, what Paul is saying, as we're seated in heavenly places, we have all spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing that matters, as believers, we already have them. But I must ask, is that good enough for you? Is your declarative spiritual blessings in heaven good enough for you today? I want you to ask yourself that question. When you leave church today, ask yourself that question. When you pray today, on the way home, before bed, hammering away at something, doing the dishes, making your husband's dinner, when you're doing those things, whatever you're doing, guys, guys, we have to mow grass today. So guys, when we're mowing grass outside, <laughs> ask God this question. Are you enough for me? Are the blessings that you've given me enough? God, what blessings do I truly desire? See, this reminds me of Esau, and I think there's an Esau in all of us. He lost two things. Esau lost a birthright, and he lost a blessing. Now, some say that the birthright was essentially a spiritual blessing, right? While the blessing that he was to receive was a physical blessing that he received now. So the birthright, spiritual, the blessing, something physical right now. Esau, as the firstborn, would take on the role of the spiritual leader for the house. It also meant because of God's promise to his family that he would, he would help um, birth the line of the Messiah. That was part of the birthright that was so, um, such a blessing. Yet, he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans and then hated the birthright. But when Esau missed what appeared to be a physical blessing from his dad, here's what he said. So I just want to make this clear. He sold the birthright and he hated the birthright. There's going to be a distinction now. Look at this distinction that we see. Genesis 27, 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. Esau became highly frustrated. He just hated the birthright. He's just like, whatever, I hate it. You know, like I hate college football right now, right? Like, I hate it. I will like it again once Michigan loses. 
Until then, I hate it. Right, Jody Ray? Jody, sorry, Jody Ray's wearing his Michigan gear. He's hated college football for 30 years. So, so God bless you, buddy. Blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. So Esau, when he gave the birthright away, he just hated it. He didn't want anything to do with it. But now when he sees his brother receiving a blessing, he starts to cry out for it. I want that physical blessing. I want it, and I, like Willy Wonka, I want it now, Daddy. Right? That's what she's saying. That's, that's what Esau is desiring right now. Bless me. Bless me too, my father. I want it. Giving up the birthright is a spiritual blessing, or was a spiritual blessing, an unmeasurable heavenly reward. And when he gave that up, it didn't seem to affect him. But the only effect that we saw in his life is when he missed out on a physical blessing. So what do you desire the most? Your spiritual blessings or your physical ones? Because I think what we all, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us react and overreact when we miss out on physical blessings more than we do spiritual blessings. Am I the only one? We need to learn from Esau here. Paul is telling us we have everything we need already in heaven. We're seated in heavenly places and we have every spiritual gift, every spiritual blessing that we need. Isn't that something to rejoice over? Isn't that something to sit at peace over? We have our birthright. We have it all. So why are we complaining about the flat tire? Why are we complaining about um, the lack of money, the retirement? Why are we complaining about all of these things? So again, what do you desire the most? Spiritual blessings don't make the Buckeyes win national championships. They don't pay the bills or make your favorite candidates win. But they do make you much more complete and richer in heaven. Amen? Now, there's no way of working to achieve these blessings. Not what we're saying today. Our foundation, this is a foundational belief as believers. Our foundation is one that is finished. This work is done. Our work is to honor him. But our foundation is much deeper than just this today. It's much deeper than just having spiritual um, having every spiritual blessing. Here's another part of our foundation. Foundational belief, a basic of believers. We are chosen and desired. Guess what you are today? You are chosen and desired by God. On my worst day, when I'm not feeling well, when I'm sick, when I'm hungry, when I received a bunch of critiques, probably a lot of them were right. And you just say, how do I get myself up again and do this again? You know what I can remember? That I'm chosen and I'm desired. And you know, want to know by who? 
not just Macy. One other person, God. I had to really uh, convince her too. <laughs> That's what I tell her, Macy. Look, you're at work slaving away. How do you think this grass has stayed mowed the whole winter? I've been slaving around this place. We are chosen and we are desired. Will you receive that just for a second? In your sin, in your mess, in your shortcomings, in your failures, in your bitterness, you are chosen and desired by the one true God, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, how many of you guys remember playing recess, playing games at recess? They were fun, right? I still, I still have my mental highlight tape. <laughs> I st some of you guys still might have it, yours too. But... um. I remember just, you know, the old school, and we had our football, uh, our playground football field. And you'd go out there, and, and I would typically be a captain uh, for whatever reason. Um, but it would be me and then another friend who'd be the captain. And then you'd go through the room, and you'd say, well, I want this person, and I want that person, and I want this person, and I want that person. And um, you start to whittle down, and then it always ended up being that the teams were even, but you had three people left, right? So then you say, well, I'll take Mark, and then Macy says, I'll take Esther, and then it's my dad left. <laughs> he can't throw a pigskin five feet anymore. <laughs> he thinks he's Peyton Manning, though, drawing his yard art on his hand. So then there's my dad left. So then here's things that you have to do. You have to say, well, Dad, you can't play. Or, I, I don't want him. Macy, you can have him. That would happen on the playgrounds. So then he would then tuck his tail and go run off and go try to play tag or something else, right? Or, insert emotional music, he'd be the only person on the swing That's a sad feeling, isn't it? Maybe, maybe there's people in here who that is a childhood scar of theirs. That they were rejected. They weren't desired. They weren't welcomed in. They didn't feel valuable. With God, we are chosen and we are desired. It reminds me of Leah in the Old Testament. Many of you are familiar with the story. But Jacob had this idea, and he fell in love with Rachel. And he chose for her to be his wife. He wanted Rachel. But what ended up happening is on the wedding night, Laban tricked Jacob, and he received Leah. But Jacob wanted to marry cute Rachel, beautiful Rachel. But he was tricked into short-sighted 
Leah. He wanted to love someone else. So imagine being Leah. He didn't ask you to marry. He, he never asked you. He never dated. It was just, hey, you're going to get tricked into this. You're going to go be this man's wife. Do you think she felt loved? Do you think she felt desired? Do you think she felt chosen? And Leah, not feeling loved, desired, or chosen, it greatly affected her life. And as believers, if we don't know that we are chosen and desired, it will greatly affect how we live in this world as well. Genesis 29, 32 through 34. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she, uh, for she said, it is because that the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. That's horrible. I've given my husband a husband. Or, oh my goodness. I've given my husband a son. Surely he'll, he'll love me. Verse 33. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now, at last, my husband will uh, become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So his name was Levi. Leah, in her relationship, was always striving to be loved and accepted by her husband because she knew she wasn't his choice. She was always trying to earn it, always trying to do something better, always trying to prove her worth. Now, adult ears here, right? But forced intimacy is really weird, right? When you force an I love you, when you force a kiss, or especially when you just force bedroom stuff, it just becomes really weird. And what this woman was doing is she was trying to find her acceptance, find her identity, and to be loved by almost what appears to be just saying, I have to do this so that he'll love me. It's strange. It's heartbreaking. She was striving to be accepted. With each new child, she now thinks that she might be worthy enough to be loved. That's what many Christians go through who don't know that they're chosen and loved by God. That's what Christians go through who don't know that they're desired by God. What they do is because they don't feel desired, they go out and they try to do good things. Because they don't feel desired, they go out and they um, always feel insufficient and unvaluable. But you weren't just chosen by God because you are a believer. You weren't just or actually, yeah, you weren't just chosen when you were saved. God didn't just choose you. Um, because you did good things. God chose you before the creation of this world. 
God chose you before he knit you in your mother's womb. God knew you and he chose you at whatever his infinity years beyond were, right? Today you are chosen and you are loved. Not only are you chosen and loved, but you are desired. You are the first pick. Amen? You are the first pick today. How can God do that? I don't know. But you are the first pick. Somehow I am the first pick. But God doesn't stop there with our foundation. We are desired. We are loved. We are chosen. We are seated with Christ. But also we are adopted into his family. Verse, uh, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and his glorious grace which he is, has freely given us in the one he loves. If you've been adopted in real life, it means that you are lovingly and graciously invited into a family that doesn't have your exact DNA. I love that that happens. But as the believer, it's much deeper than that. As the believer, we are adopted into his family and we are given his nature. It actually goes a little bit further than that. See, to be welcomed into his family, what do the gospels tell us? To receive eternal life, we have to be what? born again. Not only are we adopted, but when we are born again, we are born as children of his. Amen? So we're given his nature. We are born into his family. As children of God, we have redemption. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Whether you think it or not, you need redeemed. You and I need redeemed today. Our sins have created a debt demanding the death of God, the death of Jesus. And God who is able, sorry, and God who is unable to ignore sin had two choices, spiritual death for you and I or his son's sacrifice. When we sinned, when our fathers sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, atonement had to be made. God's choice was this. Something has to die. It's either going to be my son or it's going to be my people. What did he choose? He said, I want redemption for all people. God, rich in kindness, sent his son to pay our debt willingly so that we could be redeemed. This is our foundation. This is what we stand on as believers. We are adopted into his family. We are chosen. We are loved. We have redemption. The last point today is the good thing is God didn't hide his plan from us. Right here, verse 9. 
he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he uh, purposed in Christ. To be in effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So someday, believers will gain complete spiritual understanding and clarity about God's action. Someday, I think we're going to see it all. Now, this scripture reveals that God is orchestrating everything according to his good pleasure. God today is orchestrating things in our life for his good pleasure. A divine purpose planned before the world's foundation is reaching its climax in our present day. The focal point of anticipation is the day when it reaches its full fulfillment, signifying the return of Christ. On this day, all things in heaven will be under his authority. So God's saying, hey, look, I'm not hiding things from you. I'm revealing the mystery to you as well. And what was the mystery? The mystery was that he revealed his son. Hey, look, I have a plan for you. I have preordained a plan for you so that you can be reunited with me, reunited with loved family members, and at perfect peace the way that he intended it. So let's finish up today. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise, might be for his praise of his glory. So today, here's what we need to remember. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the spiritual blessings that we look to are not the blessings of this world. We have to be willing to give those things up. The popularity, pride, money, um, whatever, right? We all have our own things. We're seated in heaven, and that is the best blessing. You are chosen and desired no matter how rejected you feel from man. God has chosen you and God desires you. We are adopted into his family. We are redeemed and we are brought into his plan. This is the firm foundation by which we build our life on as believers. There is no greater blessing than this. You are seated. There's no greater blessing than this. You are seated with Christ. You are chosen and desired. You are adopted into his family. You are redeemed. And he has brought you into his plan. What else do you desire? So I ask you again, is Jesus enough? And if Jesus is not enough for you today, if Jesus is not enough for me today, guess what? I just need to go tell him. I need to go home and say, God, here's what I recognize. You're not enough for me, and I'm sorry. I know that you're more than enough. I know that you're better than I think, but you're not enough for me. I desire way too many other things in my life. I just want to live and be satisfied with my firm foundation so that I can rest with what Jesus has accomplished. So today, I implore you to prioritize spiritual blessings over earthly ones. 
recognizing that our true standing and our true happiness is only in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that just the simplicity of what today was would not be missed. May we just hear it and receive it. I pray that you would minister to this, minister uh, to us these areas throughout this week. We love you. Keep us safe um, from the schemes of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can be dismissed.